Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lentesta, and today's Monday, June 25th, or a few days past the summer solstice, or, you know, the winter solstice for our friends in the Southern Hemisphere. And that means that the days are getting shorter. In a few months, we'll all be pale, possum-like creatures who never go outside and fear the sun. And that reminds me, I need to introduce Jim. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Wow, I I can't understand how you lost your job at Hallmark. I mean, you're just, <laughs> it's like with an introduction like More that. More sentimentality, you know, they said. Yeah. I, Not what we were looking for, they said. <laughs> Do you even have a soul, they said. Well, you know, but the upside is it's frighteningly accurate. So, you know, it's just like, well, we'll let it go this time, Len. Yes, I grabbed something with my prehensile tail. Anyway. All right, Jim, before we get started, I've got a couple of updates on my walks around Walt Disney World. We've got some listener questions. But before we do that, we have a correction or an update that you want to talk about, right? Yeah, this is really just a quick housekeeping note. On our recent Disney dish, Len and I talked about a video that had been posted online by the folks over at Orlando Park Stop. This particular video had an in-depth look at the Forbidden Forest Coaster that's currently under construction at Universal's Island Adventure. Uh, It's part of the expansion of that theme park's Wizarding World of Harry Potter, the Hogsmeade Village area. Anyways, Len, as I talked about the video, we shared some rumors that at that time, anyway, we're making the rounds about this particular Orlando Park Stop production. And Alicia Stella, the author of the video and the owner of Orlando Park Stop, recently reached out to me and asked that we set the record straight. So, recent series of emails, Alicia told me that contrary to rumor, she didn't pay anyone at Universal Parks and Resorts for the info that she shared in this Forbidden Forest video, nor had anyone at Universal Creative leaked any info to her regarding the still under construction Wizarding World attraction. The info that Mistella shared with uh, the Park Stop video, she got the old-fashioned way, which, uh, by the way, I'm quoting directly from her email here, involved aggregating details from several sources, forums, articles, and cherry-picking rumors that had come up again and again. Among the sites that uh, Alicia had allegedly pulled info from for the Forbidden Forest Coaster was Theme Park University. So anyway, given the reaction this particular Park Stop video got from Universal Parks and Resort, I'm told that a formal investigation was launched in-house to determine who exactly had leaked all this info to Miss Stella, because given the accuracy of the, the video's description of the Forbidden Forest, there was just no way that Alicia could have come up with all of that info on her own. So let's just say this was some impressive guesswork, detective work on Miss Stella's part, but on behalf of myself and Mr. Testa, I'd like to apologize for Alicia for passing along those rumors about this particular Park Stop video. We should have probably done a better job in reporting on this Orlando-related story, and we'll try to do better in the future, okay? And speaking of stuff we got wrong, Len, did you see that note that we got from the guy in regard to the Chippendale dinosaur costumes that are being used at Dino Bash at, uh, over at Animal Kingdom? We did, actually. It came from a, a listener named Chris who said mm-hmm. that our description of the Dino Land costumes, which was basically a costume inside of a costume, mm-hmm. uh, was incorrect. Now, Chris did say not to describe exactly how the costumes worked because it would ruin the magic. But he did say that it's not as bad as basically being in a, a sleeping bag wrapped in a fur coat. <laughs> I'm fascinated by the, the concept of a fat suit for a chipmunk. <laughs> but here's the thing. The, the second part of Chris's note had a yep. really interesting question. Let me read it to you. It mm-hmm. said, hey, uh, Jim and Len, my question concerns the Pirates Adventure game in the Magic Kingdom. And remember, this is the one in Adventureland that's sort of like Sorcerer's 
of the Magic Kingdom. You're given a map and you walk around different areas in Adventureland, going to different stations that are set up, looking for clues to help Jack Sparrow do something related to treasure. So my girlfriend and I, Chris says, tried this game out while we were in the Magic Kingdom so that we could redeem the free Pirates of the Caribbean Fast Pass and ride without waiting in line. While playing the game, I realized that we were essentially, quote, in line for Pirates of the Caribbean, but preoccupied by doing the interactive quests as we, quote, waited. Do you think Disney is planning on doing something similar for future attractions, particularly those at Galaxy's Edge, or reintegrating or integrating this into older attractions like Pirates? Keep up the great work. So what do you think, Jim? Is this something that Disney's going to roll out to other attractions, you think, or other lands? Yeah, in fact, Chris is on the money in regard to Galaxy's Edge. My understanding is, especially with the Alcatraz project, the Escape from the Death Star ride, Mm -hmm. because there's a whole conceit of you boarding a shuttle, which then takes you up to the Death Star and that sort of thing, they are trying to sort of disperse the line. Yeah. Please understand that a lot of these concepts are going to be tested prior to the actual opening of, of Galaxy's Edge. But for example, you know, everyone knows about the squadron of X-Wings that's hidden in the forest by the, the old temple. Supposedly, that's going to be one of the spots where you're supposed to kill time. You're interacting with the pilots, the droids, and then suddenly you get a message to the effect of, oh, please proceed to the shuttle bay. So, uh, you know, it's just, this is going to be an idea that Disney is, in fact, walking forward. Now, mind you, are we going to see general application in other parts of the parks, especially at Disneyland? Again, you've got a 60-plus-year infrastructure out there. You've got narrow streets, not so much there, but out ahead of Disney World's 50th anniversary, my understanding is, yeah, that Guardians of the Galaxy, the coaster, uh, mm-hmm. is supposed to feature an element similar to this, that, you know, you'll be out in the plaza interacting with characters there and then be told to move into the actual ride building to hmm. sort of enter the queue. So this is something that Disney is playing with, but this is kind of aimed at a very, very specific audience, the millennials who are the ones who are armed with their phones and a lot of this is supposedly going to be an app that drives info to your phone. Well, you saw that uh, Disney has announced its Play the Parks app, which is coming to this app store, I believe, in August. And we, we talked about that in a previous episode where Disney's patented things like front-of-the-line access if you do really well in a game or something like that. Do you think that they'll integrate those phone-based games into actual things in the park a la... Agent Peace World Shakers Adventure, which you now play only with your phone, not with their own devices? Yeah, I mean, that this is one of those you've got to walk before you can run situations. And it's so far, the Agent P thing seems to be working the way. I mean, I, I remember talking with, you know, the project leads on this way back when. And the terror was, how do we get a Galaxy's Edge and an iPhone to do this exact same thing? Yeah. And now that doesn't seem to be quite the issue anymore. But as you said, this whole notion of part of the excitement of that ride is they want you to be in a situation where, hey, you won this game. You get to step to the head of the line of Epcot's brand new exciting attraction and then have people evangelize online about, oh, my God, I played the Disney line game and it was amazing. And we jumped the two hour line and they honestly want the guests to plow the road for this. And then based on how it's received, 
walk it into other attractions, but talking with some of the, the folks who were involved with the project, they see it as fast past two, as in, do you remember the, the initial issues with, with fast pass about, you know, there were stories of people who would actually take a swing at people in line who were moving through the fast pass line yeah. about how are you going to the front and whole notion of, well, what if I didn't come to the park with my phone? What if I can't play this game? Yeah. What if I have an older phone, right? Then what? Yeah. Then what do I do? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of issues, but that said, I, st- I still want to see this come in because I think I can win that game and get to the front of the line. <laughs> I've played a couple of games recently in the parks. One was, well, I was waiting in line for Soren the other day. Mm-hmm. I did the Soren Challenge game, and that is using your location to verify that you're actually in line oh. in Soren. So you have to turn on location services to play the game in the line. The other one that I was using was, again, Agent P's, where also location-based. It knew where you were in the park. It told you when to move away from certain game elements so that other people could play and so on. I wonder how much more of that Disney can ask people to do. Like, could they tell you that you have to enable Bluetooth connectivity in order to play the game? Like, if everyone's willing to go with location services, and I think they would be for this, Mm -hmm. you know, could you do Bluetooth? Would you have to connect to Disney Wi-Fi? Things like that. It's an interesting question. The other thing, I was speaking with the designer, at least on the, the Guardians project, One of the things they want to do is there's going to be a lot of flat screens featured in the queue area. You're going to be talked to by Rocket. You're going to be talked to by Drax, that sort of thing. But Mm -hmm. what they also want to do is when you win the game, they want to be able to call up your image on the in-house video system. And it's like, these are the winners, folks. And here they are stepping out of line and they're going to the front feeling. The feeling is that if they show people winning and you can see that they're right there with you in line, that other people will then be compelled to play the game. Play a game, so, play more. Oh, that's that's an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, you first have to, to actually do it with, with actual guests. And frankly, the terror for Orlando is so many guests, international guests, who won't necessarily speak the language and will get yeah. upset when they see people stepping out of line. And it's like, why can't my family do that? All right, Jim, speaking of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I saw the new Guardians of the Galaxy rock and roll show at the American Adventures, American Gardens Pavilion the other day. Have you have you seen a video of this yet? Not yet, no. Like, how does it play? It's not bad. It's not great. It's not terrible. Mm-hmm. The premise is that uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy land on a planet that has musical instruments remarkably similar to <laughs> Earth's guitars, bass, drums, and synthesizers, remarkably enough. Uh, also, they have uh, singers who can master the English language pretty quickly. So it's a show where you're there to, to play four songs from mm-hmm. the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 mixtape. I think it starts with Hooked on a Feeling. Mm-hmm. It includes Pat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best Shot. There's a Jackson 5 song that I can't remember now to close it out. Four songs, goes by in 20 minutes. It's not great. It's not bad. I guess if you're in the area and you're looking for some shade. That's the the place to go to it. The one thing that I was really surprised at, though, was... Do you remember the job posting for this when it came out? It was making the rounds that it asked for strong vocal leads for male and female. Do you remember mm, this? Yeah, okay. I remember the piece on Disney Edition page. Why do you bring that up? The reason I bring it up is this. There are two female leads and one male lead. And by the way, mm. they, they sing the same songs every show. 
so I actually asked the people uh, at the American Adventure if they ever got tired of hearing the, the same four songs, and they gave me that Disney smile. No, not at all. Then their eyes rolled in the back of their head. <laughs> by the way, if you want to go see the show, you can get VIP seating by going into the American Adventure Pavilion, and there's a little stand right there. Ask the person for VIP wristbands and no. uh, go back out. But my point with the strong vocal lead was this. The female vocal performers are so much better than the male vocal performance. It's night and day. They've got much stronger voices. When they do, Hat Benatar's Hit Me With Your Best Shot, if it wasn't for, I guess, some, some additional vocal acrobatics around the song, you would swear it's it's Pat Benatar singing the song. They sound that good and they sound that strong. So remember Pat Benatar's voice in that particular oh, sure. song. Sure. Very good. And they don't do it like, it's not like overly brassy. Like sometimes you hear singers and you know, there's like a certain Broadway style of singing. Mm-hmm. That isn't necessarily pop singing or theme park singing, but this is more like pop singing, which is appropriate for the show. I thought the female leads did really, really well. That aspect of it, no complaints whatsoever. So overall, not bad. Okay, but the male lead, this was the Chris Pratt lookalike, is that correct? He doesn't actually sing. There's okay. another character that sings. So neither okay. Gamora nor Star-Lord sing. They're okay. basically MCs, mm-hmm. which I thought was... Unusual, because I, I didn't get that from the job description. But anyway, mm-hmm. I saw this with Seth Kuberski from our team, and I think he said that it was this was the B cast. And if mm-hmm. that was the B cast, or the B team that was doing mm-hmm. it, the female leads were incredible. Male, mm-hmm. you know, okay. It could have been the choice of music. Mm-hmm. wasn't uh, especially good for, for men singing. These were sort of like 70s easy listening tunes. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking like Kenny Rogers, The Gambler. You know, like it was different songs. I don't know that you can get much out of that. And especially if you're singing... Jackson 5 songs, that's not really a demanding male song. I don't know. I'm not a music critic. I could be completely wrong here. But anyway, I thought the women did really well. It was an interesting show. Four songs over quickly. Okay. Uh, Just a little side note here. I was talking with somebody at Disney Auditions in regard to the casting of Star-Lord and and bringing that character into the park. And it's just sort Mm -hmm. of like, the problem is the Chris Pratt Venn diagram of charming, beefy dude They've run into an issue in Orlando finding people who look like this because it's it's such a distinct look. They invariably get somebody who's either too skinny to pull off the Chris Pat thing or, to be honest, somebody who's a couple of sandwiches too far gone. And so it's sort of like they're actually supposedly (laughs) talking about opening the auditions up to New York and L.A., out ahead of the Guardians' ride uh, next year, or largely yeah. again because you know they they want some decent lookalikes. So well, I mean, it's that or human cloning. So I guess New York <laughs> and LA is is sort of like Plan B. There we go. So fair enough. Jim Buzz, speaking of new rides, I want to go back to Galaxy's Edge here for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a question from listener Paul. It related to the new Disneyland annual pass holder blackout policy. And Paul writes this. I might have missed it. But I didn't catch you guys mentioning anything about the separate blackout calendars for Disneyland and DCA. It's not a big deal. We all know that something has to be done about the crowds and jacking up the price doesn't seem to have slowed annual pass holder sales. But when Disney announced this, the Disney spokesperson said this is, quote, the first step in reshaping our annual pass program. And Paul's question, of course, is what other steps should we be expecting? You know, first of all, lining your annual pass with razor blades so you you wouldn't, in fact, pull it out of your wallet quite so often. (laughs) We talked about this three years ago, four years ago, about how Disneyland already has had a horrible situation going with overselling of annual pass. 
and you know the fact that they keep jacking up the price point but at the same time they don't make the connection of you're still making monthly payments i mean you could that, that's it it's left hand meet right hand you guys should talk yeah yeah so they have not thinned the rolls the way they wanted so yes there is at least one more price increase that it, i've heard is coming that is it's a phrase i keep hearing over this is the shocking one this is the one where really it's like, that's coming up yeah, I think the language on the form actually says arm and leg. <laughs> what are the body parts do you have spares of? <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, you the, know. What are the body parts do you have two of with like one? Yeah. <laughs> but it's all on the back of the genuine fear of when Galaxy's Edge opens and the bad yeah. PR that will come from this park shutting down day after day after day at nine o'clock in the morning because it's full. So yes, that's one of the reasons why you're seeing a blackout schedule for Disneyland that doesn't line up with DCA. And and to be honest, that's because they're trying to push you over there. This whole Pixar Pier thing with, with the Incredicoaster and everything that's being done there is all part of that as well. It's like, when you look at how much Incredibles 2 has made over just the past week yeah 180 million dollars did you see that that's actually super hero movie money you know it's opening weekend i think fell between what captain america civil war made and i want to say age of ultron wow both of those went on to be billion dollar movies so it's all about persuading southern californians that you know look go over to dca check that out and yes someday you'll be able to get into disneyland and go to the galaxy Center. someday <laughs> not you but your kids it's like yeah, yeah. it's like immigrating to america at the ago. beginning of the 20th century look this yeah. isn't for you it's for your kids <laughs> yeah just that all of their survey work everything is telling them that they have built the better mousetrap. The problem is, what do you do when every mouse on the planet runs into your mousetrap? So it's, you know, yeah. it's, this is what, what they have to do. It's just, the, you know, everything they can to persuade you to slow down. Speaking so. of which, did you read the Wall Street Journal article from a few days ago that said that Disney was ready to test the boundaries of their pricing strategy? Yeah, that's a polite way of putting it. It's just sort of like, you know, we've been grabbing them by the ankles and shaking them, but we, we have this machine now that will do it <laughs> so for us. <laughs> Do you remember in the Lorax that they invented the machines to chop down the trees more efficiently? I like to think of some of those machines just grabbing people and, and looking for wallets. I think that's what Disney's working on. Yeah. I mean, Galaxy's Edge, people are going to pay it. And we, we've talked yep. about this, right? We said that, yep. you know, and I believe, I, I honestly believe this is true. Mm-hmm. If Disney says people can start lining up at three o'clock in the morning, then you'll walk out along any of the Epcot resorts at 2.59 and there'll be families that are magically practicing Tai Chi at 2.59 waiting for 3 a.m. to roll around to to go to Galaxy's Edge. If they say it's going to be $600 a night for preview time of Galaxy's Edge, people will pay $600. And if if they say that one-day tickets are $200, people will pay $200. No one's going to bat an eye for the first few months and so forth. No. Did you see, though, that with just Toy Story Land this summer at at the studios, to accommodate guests at the resort, a 7 a.m. opening to give them that extra hour in there... Well, for a couple of reasons, too. I mean, it gets hot as well mm-hmm. in, in California in the summer. So 7 a.m. is a little bit cooler. That's good. Mm-hmm. They're doing, doing the same thing at Hollywood Studios mm-hmm. with the opening of Toy Story Land, where yep. the park is going to be open extra early and then extra late. But I yep. think in both cases, Jim, what Disney has for a concern is the capacities of the rides that they're opening are not great. No. At Hollywood Studios, no. you're looking at maybe seven, maybe 800 people an hour for Aliens, Swirling Saucers. 
And I'm hearing there are only two trains running right now on Slinky Dog Dash, which would put the hourly capacity well under uh, 1,000 people an hour, maybe closer to uh, in the neighborhood of 720. The only way you're going to get a decent fraction of the theme park going public onto those rides is by having the park open 15, 16 hours a day. That's why they're doing that. I'm convinced. And I got to say right now, you know, uh, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is opening. It was May 1st of next year, right? Yep. If that doesn't bring 2,000 to 2,500 people an hour through, I don't know what the what Hollywood Studios is going to do when Galaxy's Edge opens. Knockout gas, maybe? <laughs> Get her <laughs> like, you had a wonderful time. Get out of the park. They're going to have to run eight Indiana Jones shows a day. They'll have to be 50 Voyage of the Little Mermaids. It's going to be basically the Cliff's Notes versions of the Little Mermaid show. They're going to have to run every theater, every Streetmosphere character is going to have to be working 15, 16 hour days just for other people who can't get into Galaxy's Edge to find something to do. By the way, uh, Jim, did you hear that uh, there is a soon to be an announcement for hiring of more Streetmosphere characters in the studios? Yeah, not a surprise. We were talking earlier about left hand, right hand. This brilliant campaign that they put together for the opening of Toy Story Land that they've done the national ad buys on. They have built all of this interest and, and all this excitement for a land that really, again, has two relatively new, you know low-capacity new rides and a new entrance for Midway Mania. It's just, uh, in a weird sort of way, it would have been so much better if they'd just gone with a low-key campaign. And Because, again, if you talk with anybody at Imagineering about changes that were made to Muppet Studios with Grand Avenue and the Toy Story Land... Both of these were basically considered, well, these are the lobby for Star yeah. Wars land. They were just supposed to take a little heat off. For lack of a better explanation, it's kind of uh, why Universal Studios Florida built Terminator 3D attraction where they did. Because it, At the it's, front of the it, park. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's a speed bump that prevents people from racing back to Diagon Alley. Yeah. Same thing with Fast Food Avenue over in, in Springfield. And this is the problem. Now Disney has tr- tried to convince North America that the lobby is a land. And it's like, no, it's still the lobby. It's it's only supposed to peel off a couple of thousand people to prevent them from going into Star Wars land. So there's some great work they've done there. I mean, the design is wonderful. I just worry that they're heading into a fairly miserable summer full of stories about people standing in long lines for short rides. That's honestly not why they started this project. Well, I'm uh, super excited to see Toy Story Land at night. It looks really good from the videos. Sometime next week, we should uh, all have a preview of it. We'll come back and we will talk about it then. How's that sound, Jim? That works. That works. Fantastic. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Jamil. Please go on to iTunes or Stitcher and rate our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. Don't forget, in those comments, we are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. So if anything, anything at all ever goes wrong, goes on the show, in your life, let Aaron know about it. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.